It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling brother welcome everyone to another big edition of reliving the war where we go through the monday night wars wwf versus wcw and do exactly what it says on the tin we relive the wars my name is nims azor joined as always by my tag team partner simon tackler and we are exclusive to the gray wolf entertainment network and we're smack bang into february here of 1998 We've gone through No Way Out of Texas for the WWF, which was an all-time classic pay-per-view, I would have to say. And uh, Simon, we weren't too impressed with WCW's offerings for January, were we? No, I've been in a down mood on uh, WCW. I was looking forward to this just to see what on earth they were going to rebound with. And uh, look, it wasn't a complete 180, but it was definitely a turn in the right direction for WCW. Yeah, uh, if if sold out was that boat that was stuck in the Suez Canal, um, I think Super Bowl Eight is those tiny little diggers sort of digging it out. But uh, as always with a WCW pay-per-view, we like to get our good buddy and Melbourne's best photographer, Owen Jones, on board. You can find his work at digital underscore, underscore beard on uh, the old Instagram. But uh, Owen... Apologies, first off, because we made you sit through sold out. But um, you came back for Super Bowl Eight. What do you think of uh, just from before you even went into the pay per view? As you were sort of hitting play on the network, were you dreading it? Were you thinking, "Oh boy, this is going to be fun"? Well, if we're going to play out, if we're going to do the whole boats gimmick, at least Super Brawl wasn't the Ruby Princess. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all I got to say. Um, no, thanks for having me, my friends. It's always fun to jump on. But no, I, I had a little bit of optimism. Um, I did, I went against my usual jaunt of looking at the card as I, as the first match starts. I actually looked at the card before the before I watched the show. And on paper, this card is very strong. Yeah, and very much. I reckon I reckon like, you know, spoilers, I reckon it backed it up for pretty much the most part. Like I was kindly surprised. Um, just quick before we get into the show, I feel like my usual gimmick of you know I was this I was this many days old when a when a, a wrestling show in the late nineties was on has fallen a bit flat. So I've decided to come with facts about February twenty second, nineteen ninety eight. Right here we go. This is good. The number one song in Australia on the ARIA charts on February twenty second, nineteen ninety eight was any guesses, my friends, seeing as you two lived it. 1998, February 98. Wasn't the Macarena, was it? No, that was 96. I feel like it'd be something like Virtual Insanity by uh, Jamiroquai. Celine Dion? Simon's got it. It was? Number one song in Australia and America on its debut week in the top top 50. 
Wow. My heart will go on by Celine Dion because Titanic was released in December 97. Now, top five movies in America. I couldn't, I tried really hard to find Australia, but you know, trying to find Australia facts is kind of hard compared to the States. So, Mm. top five movies in America on the on February 22nd, 1998 was Titanic number one. Yep. The Wedding Singer number two, one of my favorite movies of all time. It's fairly underrated. Sphere number three. Now, I don't know what Sphere, I don't know what what movie Sphere Sphere is. Is that with Ice Cube? I'm I don't know Sphere. <laughs> oh, hang on. I'm, I'm think- No, Sphere is an awful movie. Um, it's like the court. This is so. <laughs> do you remember, like roughly around 98, 99, we're very much veering off the uh, beaten party, but but it's a decent one. So there was movies like Sphere and The Cube and yeah, uh, The Core and all of these stuff was just the and a geometric shape. <laughs> wow, look at the cast though for a movie that is no Ice one Cube remembers. No, Dustin Hoffman, Sharon Stone, and Samuel L. Jackson. That oh seems like goodness. it should be a good movie, but it's a yeah, yeah psychological sci-fi movie. It has eleven percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh god! Uh, and then uh, number to round it out, number four, Goodwill Hunting, another one of my favorite movies of all time, and uh, Senseless, number five. I don't know. I haven't particularly heard of that. That Senseless with Marlon Wayans. I reckon it is. Here's Nat and, and David Spade. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. I remember watching that a lot on video. So that's the top five movies in America on February 22nd, 1998. Before when, you we put get that, when you put that top five in, uh, um, when you, with, with the context of the top five, all of a sudden Super Bowl seems like WrestleMania 3. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, let's get straight into Super Bowl because we start off, and I know we, we seem to just absolutely rain on uh, the video packages of WCW from a great height, but this one isn't even a video package. It's just <laughs> like a PowerPoint slideshow with a, current, with a few transitions. We don't really need to go on about it too much, do we, boys? No. I have, I, I have one note. Um, my first note is what the hell is this intro video? But mm. the second note is it reminds me of the intro video to the, to the introduction of the Power Rangers movie from 1995. <laughs> and I'm not just saying it because I'm a big Power Rangers mark. It's because the voiceover sounds like the sounds like the guy who voiced over the start of the Power Rangers movie, but even the feel of it sounds like the start of the Power Rangers movie. If Ivan Ooze makes her, uh, an appearance, I'd be more than happy, but unfortunately it was just Hogan and Sting. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we get to, so that basically sets up Super Brawl 8. This is going to be the greatest rematch of all time. We got Mike Tanay, Tony Schiavone, and Bobby the Brain Hayden at the desk. Uh, just a little fun fact to sort of keep us in the era of 1998. The font used is Bank Gothic, which is something that is used constantly in that era. Like, it's like Simon, do you remember when that was basically the font for everything? I'm pulling it up again just so I can really have a look at it oh yeah absolutely yeah yeah every movie trailer every commercial everything yeah every like oh. who wants who wants to be a millionaire yeah. used it everyone just decided this is the font that we're it using looks a little bit futuristic like that is pretty sure that it's was very, the font used matrix. for the sphere and yeah the matrix, oh. anything like that I, I will say though tony in this intro goes full tony shivani and again we all love him now but this is a distilled example of why we hated him in this era or why some fans did. To call this the biggest rematch our sport has ever seen, it's like, all right, calm down. Just <laughs> cool it. 
Yeah, he, he really did sell on the hyperbole here. And uh, look, we start off the pay-per-view. Everything is hyped towards Hogan. But we, and put it this way. Basically, Super Brawl 8 is a make good for the entire cluster that was Starcade 1997, where 18 months of quality storytelling was just put down the toilet. But uh, we get <laughs> to our first match, and it is Booker T versus Rick Martel. Rick Martel is actually the TV champion at the time. And my first note is, I didn't even know he was TV champ. <laughs> yeah, he must have won it on TV at some point. Um, I guess they were willing to push Rick Martel. Can I just say, he looked great. He had a really nice jacket. And his entrance music was very funky. It sounded like Wham! or something. And it <laughs> felt like he was kind of leaning back into the model character. I thought it was kind of cool. I did think he was, he did look like a million bucks. And you forget to, it, it's almost like when, when Mr. Perfect came back in the 2002 Royal Rumble, it was like he didn't miss a beat. And it's yeah. funny, we always talk about ages here, Simon and Owen, but like, it's funny now because, like, you know, when you're in your 40s, that's pretty much the norm in wrestling. Whereas back then, anything shy of 35 and you were old, mm. like Rick Martel still considered an old guy because he's ex model. Same with, uh, like, it's wheelchair wrestling essentially, but uh, yeah. oh, and you wouldn't have seen too much of Rick Martel stuff as the model, I'm going to assume. So, nah. when you see him and the way he's presented, he's the TV champ, he's hanging with Booker T. Did he seem like a bit of the real deal to you, or just like a guy that's going to be counting lights? You know, I've seen like patches of his career, like throughout his career, and like I was, yeah, I mean, my one of my notes is like for someone who he was just about to turn 42. Um, he looked amazing. He was in great ring condition. Um, and he wrestled really well. Like this was again, I mean, we say that, but as you said, like, you know, people like Orton and Styles, there, you know, they're like pushing mid forties these days. Punk like Jericho, like I mean, even you know, kind of last like I mean, last night in um Pro Wrestling Noah, um Fujita won the title and he is 51 years old and was hanging with people like, like, you know, in their early thirties. So, I mean, wrestling these days is pretty much go until you can't. Mm. Um, but back then it was like, you know, as you said, like, you know, once you get to about late thirties, you're kind of over the hill already. Um, but no, I really, I really enjoyed this match. And I also love the idea of back-to-back title matches for something like a TV title that works really, really well. And I feel like AEW could probably do it with like the TBS or the the, the TNT titles that they have. Um, but I, yeah, I, I thought it was really cool. It's like okay, you know, you got two people vying for the title, have one match, and win it takes it's 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 like bat tennis in the primary school playground. When it, you know, when it stays on, when it stays on, that's what this was. They it should was, do it yeah. Like, when it stays it was, on, it was like playing Foursquare. When it stays on. Um, And if anyone was the dunce in this game of Foursquare, it was Mike Tanay. He had two of the dumbest calls I've ever heard. He said (laughs) that Rick Martel was in arguably the best shape of his career. No, he wasn't. You've seen the model. You know that, uh, yeah, peak no drug testing WWE Rick Martel was in that shape. And then he also, the other one was, you can cut the tradition with a knife. What does that mean? (laughs) Just mixed metaphors. It was the dumbest thing I've ever heard because he was talking about the tradition of the cow palace. Yeah. I'm like, what are you cutting it like with a steak knife or something? Like, I was so confused. Um, but I must say, oh, also really quickly, um, RIP Mickey J because he was the referee of this match. Mm-hmm. 
Um, one thing that you, you do need to, and yes, our condolences do go to Mickey J, who was also like, he had a second run in the WWF as well as uh, one of the main refs on SmackDown along with uh, Charles Robinson and um, the rest of the WCW cohorts. It's quite funny how like the, all the WWF refs were just like, put them on, put them on Raw. All the WCW guys were just, ah, got to be SmackDown, I guess. But yeah, Booker T is phenomenally over here. And it literally takes almost WCW to get on its deathbed before Booker actually gets the rocket strapped to him and like treated like a main eventer. But he's hanging here. And not only that, the flock is another main faction in 1998 WCW. They are, and I know by default, it's WCW and NWO, but the fact that they're getting any airtime as a, a sort of a crowd shows just how good they were. And um, I don't know about you, but like this, this really showed if you were a guy in the, if you were like upper management or someone in the back, wouldn't you look at Booker T and go, Hey, you know what? At, why not make him the face of WCW uh, in place of sting or something like that. But uh, that was, that was just something that I took from this because both matches back to back, it was like Booker T is a star and why can no one see this? One of my notes is in all caps, NIMS, surely the Booker push starts now. You're telling me they still haven't? How? I don't understand this. Like the man just wrestled 25 minutes on pay-per-view, went back to back and was probably the, like, I'm going to go early on the MVP. He was the MVP of the show for me because he went back to back with two absolute barn burners. And you're telling me. Two very me, different matches too. Two totally different matches. The first match was like a real wrestling match, and the second one was a real like indie brawl. And you're telling me he still doesn't have the push yet. He gets a WCW push. So basically, in this era, the reason why so many guys left is that you could only get pushed to a certain point. So in this era, with like Bischoff still in charge and whoever else, Booker only became US champ. He was never going to be a main eventer. So you know, the only leave, yeah. what's that? You had to wait for Hogan to leave. Yeah, he kind of had to wait for, you know, management changes and Vince Russo to come in. So for all the criticism Vince Russo gets, one positive was that he was willing to push newer guys and Booker T and Jeff Jarrett were the two that he kind of made in that later era. And, and you could even argue that Scott Steiner was someone else yeah, that he sort of started as well. rocket strapped as well. Yeah. Um, other uh, And look, Vince Russo always has light and shade. And with all that light, there was a lot of shade, including um, pushes of the Kiss Demon, um, the fat chick thriller, Mike Awesome. And, uh, Mike and Sanders. Course, yeah, yeah, my, above average. Above Mike average, Sanders. Mike Sanders. <laughs> and um, all of a sudden deciding to uh, rebrand Hugh Morris, Chavo Guerrero, and even Booker T as MIA, the Misfits in Actions to General Hugh G. Rection, Lieutenant Loco, and G.I. Bro, respectively. Can't wait to get to that. <laughs> but um, look, as I think we've pretty much said all we can about this, these are it was a phenomenal sort of match. Booker T wins part one of it, uh, winning the TV title with the Harlem sidekick and a devastating Harlem sidekick is win. And the thing that I loved is Saturn just storms the ring. The match immediately starts then and I there. I loved it. It was a really so good. good way to start it. My note is it's like an endurance match in the original Mortal Kombat. Where you've, you've just knocked out Sonya Blade, and all of a sudden there comes Johnny Cage straight in while you've still lost half your health. I thought the first also, match was good. I'm going to be honest; I didn't like the second match. Um, it just felt like Saturn beat up Booker T the whole time, and that was it. 
I thought that's what what sort of made it. It was a, I've written down here. It's a really good showcase for Perry Satin, uh, and I've also put down. Have you ever heard Satin being referred to as a gargoyle? <laughs> I, I had the same. That's note what I say. We all had the same note. When <laughs> you know, when did he get called a gargoyle, Mike Tanay? Yeah, that was another Tanay call as well. So yeah, I don't know where he's pulling any of this from. He's just freestyling on this show. Although, you know what, I did look into this because I was pretty sure this is where Rick Martel got injured and it kind of explains the weird booking of the second match. So Rick Martel was meant to win this whole thing. He was meant to beat Booker, then beat Saturn as sort of like, oh, this old man can still go. He tore his knee in the first match. You can kind of see him go down at one point. He re-injures it on the Harlem sidekick that he took for the finish. Uh, And then when he returned in July from surgery... He wrestled Stevie Ray and got injured again, and it was all over. Yeah. <laughs> so don't wrestle Harlem Heat the was the Harlem lesson Heat. for poor Rick Martel. He so went out I've, on a good match, though. This was a, yeah, pretty good last hurrah. Yeah. Uh, I, I've written down, too, for the Saturn versus Booker T aspect of it. Uh, Saturn's busting out moonsaults and suplexes, like, uh, like you're going and picking your move for your creator wrestler in uh, one of the wrestling games. <laughs> where you just put all the good ones. But I've, I've put down a great match. Booker gets the win with the Harlem sidekick again. This is, it's it's criminal that it took not only two more years for him to get a singles push, but he was buried basically too in that two years because first off, Stevie Ray turns on him, spoiler alert, and joins the NWO. Then um, we get the awfulness that is Harlem Heat 2000. Do you remember that one, Simon, with uh, Ahmed Johnson as Big T? And he takes the T away from Booker T, who becomes just Booker for a little bit and can't use his theme music. Yeah. But there's a little space in between <laughs> that where it looks like he's picking up momentum, which is here, and then he becomes US champ. But yeah, no, he, he's not moving up the card for a few years. But mm. a great showing for Booker T in this whole opening segment. He looked awesome. Yeah, yeah. can I just say, like, in the home stretch of that match with Satin, that reverse suplex off the top rope was absolutely bonkers i thought that was probably one of the coolest spots tonight because the first suplex is kind of cool anyway but like i mean doing like pretty much like a, a reverse like a, a super reverse suplex mm. was dope i loved it <laughs> booker t one of my notes here is this is why booker t is easily in my top five favorite wrestlers of all time hey he's like, booker t's on my rush more 100 percent it's one of those reasons why he's one of the guys that was able to have a really successful WWE run. Like, because he is that good. Like, him and Jericho were just the, the fact that they could adapt to that WWE style and excel in it. Like, when everyone else failed, like DDP failed, um, countless other, like Scott Steiner failed. Like, there's just so many guy, ex WCW guys, when you can hand, when you can, when you can put it down to just big show. Jericho and Booker T as the three WCW guys that really, really shone. I guess you could argue Chris Benoit. Mm. Yeah. yeah. We don't count him anymore, though. Yeah, we don't count <laughs> him anymore. That, that's that. Yeah. So, but um, let, let's move on to the next little segment because speak of the devil, it is Chris Jericho. It's Mark Madden and Lee Marshall with Jericho at the WCW Um at the WCW backstage worldwide.com sort of segment. Did you feel like this part was meant to be longer, but they sort of just cut it short? I don't know. It just really, the contrast, we made note of it in our No Way Out episode for the WWE. When they went to their AOL online, it was Mick Foley and Terry Funk, and they cut these really good you know, promos that were relevant to the show as well. Whereas here, 
Jericho said like three words and they were like, yeah, all right, that's it. Go to WCWWrestling.com. Yeah. He, he really seemed like he was struggling to find what to say. But also <laughs> yeah. when you have to talk to Lee Marshall, who has the greatest voice of all time, you get kind of intimidated. Mm. <laughs> Especially when you have to share a room with Mark Madden as well, who is uh, everything, including the opposite of Lee Marshall there. But um, oh, I'll tell you what, Owen, you're going to have fun when we get to the late 2000 WCW where Mark Madden joins commentary. Oh, Ooh, I know. Trust me, I remember. Um, but I must say though, I like how, um, Tony Giovanni said, log on to the internet at wcwwrestling.com. Does that mean wcwwrestling.com was the way you logged into the internet? You have to go to that website to start using every other website on the internet. So the funny thing is like, so the part where he says, you know, log on to the internet, remember like this is an era where the internet wasn't always on. Yeah, you did have to log on. That's true. <laughs> I, yeah, you did. You see, look, I, I remember dial up. I'm not that young. <laughs> But uh, yeah, WCWWrestling.com, uh, part of the stable of great WCW sites, including WCW Cooking, WCW uh, Handyman. <laughs> I never understood why it was WCW Wrestling and the fact that it's WCW Wrestling. So World Championship Wrestling, Wrestling, Wrestling.com. Jeez, but anyway, that's <laughs> domain names are some of the least of WCW's problems. But we'll get to our next match, which is La Parker versus Disco Inferno. Now, this, this match is all about who is the best dancer. Yes, that's right. It's who is the best dancer. That's one of the first things that Tony Schiavone says. And I got to say, it's a it's a real clash of styles because La Parker, an absolute luchador legend, Disco Inferno, a guy that has a podcast now uh, and might appear at <laughs> WrestleCon. <laughs> but I was actually quite shocked at the amount of technical wrestling that was displayed by Disco Inferno. This what about you? Old. Like, like it it. It, it really took me by surprise because, Simon, I remember the, the disco gimmick. It was 90% of his ca- uh, his character. You forget that he actually was a fairly good wrestler. I feel like I've been defending Disco Inferno as a wrestler quite a yeah. bit on this show. I think he's pretty good, especially looking back. You're like, damn, he, you know, he was good. He could hang with people. I expected more from this match. I don't know what was wrong with me. I should have known because of where <laughs> they were on the card not to. But because I was excited about Disco, you know, he's... he's been impressive and La Parker is coming into the chairman kind of character. I I had my standards way too high for this and I ended up <laughs> not liking this at all. It's my fault. <laughs> you know, oh. there were a couple of things I like. La Parker just starting by throwing the chair at Disco's face. That was good. Um he doing him really his dancing. In the face too. What's that? And copped him square in the chin. Oh, yeah, got him right. And you know what? That almost set the tone. It felt like something was off between these two. It was like they were <laughs> wrestling two different matches. Um, th- my only highlight was Bobby Heenan going on a tangent <laughs> about moon salts. And he was like, oh, they're going to hit one of those salto moons. Salto and, you know, moons. Tony was telling him to stop. And he said, oh, if you've ever had your moon salted, you, you'll know how painful it is. And they all <laughs> lost it. They all couldn't even keep, you know, the character going. That was- and then later on in the match, when um, Tanae goes, it was a tope suicida. And then Brain goes, can you get that with chips and salsa? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Heenan was just trying to make himself laugh Heenan, at this point, I think. Heenan was on a separate planet on this show. Yeah. But yeah, like for um oh that was there was later on in later on the show. Um oh yeah, no, it, it was it was in that call when when you, the Tobo Suicida won. Tony goes, Thank you, thank you for, for adding absolutely nothing to that exchange. <laughs> <laughs> I was, he was just very 
burying him. I reckon um, that was the point. I made a note here. I think it was on that call. I said, I finally figured out why I hated Tony Schiavone back here. He hates on Bobby Heenan and he gets like real snarky about it. The problem is Bobby Heenan in WCW wasn't a fully fledged heel. He was just mm. a reasonable guy who would explain things from sort of both sides. So when Tony acts like an outright dick, it's like, why are oh, you man. doing this? Aren't you guys friends? Like, you know, it feels yeah. like jokes from Bobby, but it's yeah. like Tony's offended anyway. Now, it's going to annoy me for the rest of WCW's <laughs> existence. It, it clicked to me when, when they introduced him and very early on in the match, the commentators in the ring announcer were calling Disco the Disco Inferno. Mm-hmm. Have I just missed that? Like, have they been calling him the Disco Inferno the entire time I've been watching these shows, or have they just kind of dropped it here and there? Because I do not remember them calling calling them calling him the Disco Inferno. Like, no, they they, they drop it here. They drop it here and there. It's always been Disco or like well, there's that bit where in 2000 with the rise of Cisco, he became Disco with a D-I-S-Q-O. But, <laughs> but like, it's always, it's it's kind of like one of those things that they just can't make their mind up. Like, yeah, okay. next pay-per-view, it very well could be Disco Inferno. Um, because, like, <laughs> it's all, because he always just has the bright orange uh, ring gear. And depending on what it says on his backside, it could either be, like, shake your booty or disco or... It, it, it It's like the level of consistency. There's no style guide for WCW. It's just, yeah. I don't know. Do you want to put a that in front of it? Yeah, I kind of like with Randy Savage, how there are some announcers who will call him Randy Macho Man Savage. So, no, it's Macho Man Randy Savage. But anyway, yeah. one of those now, things. Now, I must say, speaking of calling wrestlers by their nicknames, you know how they were calling LaParka the chairman? Mm-hmm. Now, how about this for a swerve? Imagine if Sean Spears, the chairman of AEW, is actually LaParka in a, in a Sean Spears mask. That'll be the huge, ultimate reveal. Huge metaverse. like That would be a fantastic reveal. On. <laughs> because right, because right now he's just the blandest human in the planet with a Sean Spears mask. Uh, <laughs> that's, some real, like, sp- that's some real Spidey verse kind of shit going on, and I'm all about it. But um, look, this this was just as I said, it's it's one of those hard match. It seems like two people are doing separate things here. It's like you've, it's like this is this is what it feels like. It feels like, and this is our first WCWNW revenge. Um, revenge uh reference of the evening it feels like you've selected disco inferno and your buddy that's never played a video game in his life has gone oh laparka has got a chair i'm gonna pick him and you're just mashing buttons because there was just there, there were some bits with the pop me don't get me wrong where you're slightly impressed and go oh wow that's right but uh, more than that yeah it was a bit of a, a clash of styles the chair um the chair move um the chair work from laparka uh and i love how it's used against him and then the chart buster sort of gets the win. And then you sort of forget the Stone Cold Stunner is done so well by Steve Austin that when you see it done badly, a la the chart buster, it really emphasizes how much of the move is difficult to do. Like when Kevin Owens does the stunner, it kind of doesn't look right, but it still doesn't look bad, does I'm it? I'm glad you brought that up because I've thought that for a while. Like, Owens hits a good stunner, but there is something different about a Stone Cold stunner. It's like yeah. he puts more oomph in it or something, and even Disco's here. It's, yeah, not the same. Do you reckon it's one of those cases where it's like, you know, like Stone Cold does the Stone Cold stunner, but everyone else does a stunner. It's like DDP does a diamond cutter, 
and Randy Orton does an RKO, but a cutter is a completely different move to those two. Yeah. Mm. Or it's like, honestly, and look, we all love Booker T. It's like the rock bottom compared to the bookend. The rock bottom now, just looks like it hits harder. But the bookend is the bookend looks like Booker gently places you. Yeah, down. exactly. Yeah. So anyway, we've gone way down the rabbit hole. I think we we have. We'll uh, let's get on to our next match. Do you want to actually? No, we can. We can. We've got a little uh, unadvertised match which is coming up, which I'm pretty sure we could wrap up pretty oh, quickly. Easy, easy. But um, but uh, first we'll get to Mean Gene Oakland and JJ Dillon. Now JJ Dillon, I got to say this, and it sounds rather ironic considering the last four minutes of our conversation here, but JJ Dillon just rambles about absolutely nothing. <laughs> Who thought it was a good idea to put JJ Dillon as an on-screen character? Has he haunted this podcast? Is that why we ramble so much? Oh, probably. Well, it sounds like a good idea. I think we've discussed this. He was, you know, one of the mouthpieces for the four horsemen. Someone must have thought, oh, he's probably still got it. He'd be a great authority figure. But he was a heel with the horsemen. Here, he's just an old man, you're meant to respect him type executive. I didn't know who he was in 1998, and I'm guessing most people didn't. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's also another It's another great example too, Simon, of like we've, we've noticed this very much while watching the early Attitude Era WWF. When you slot the, the Legion of Doom into 1990, late 97, early 98, WWF, they stand out like a sore thumb and age so poorly, especially when they're up against like the New Age Outlaws. This is one of those cases too. Where it's like sometimes eh, you don't just you don't quite fit here, old man. Yeah, we we really are in a turning point. It's definitely a new era because you're seeing certain guys just don't make sense anymore. Mm. Um, JJ Dillon reinstates Nick Patrick as a referee, um, and the thing that re- that really annoys me, especially after watching this in hindsight, is I don't know about you, Owen, but have you, in all the wrestling that you've watched in all your life, have you ever seen a referee get more involved in storylines than Nick Patrick? Have you ever seen a referee with, an, with, a, with a better mullet than Nick Patrick? That thing was just <laughs> exceptional. It was like John Platten-esque for all you late 80s Hawthorne fans out there. Um, but no, like, exactly. Like, I think, no, I'm going to stop myself from saying what I was about to say. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I've never seen a ref get more involved ever. Like, obviously, like, I guess the NWO thing kind of worked because it made sense, like, when they kind of started taking over. But then, like, reinserting it every so often, like I did with this one, or hinting that he's back in with the NWO, it was just like, why? Just yeah. why? Yeah. WCW had a real thing with, like, making storylines out of referees. But uh, there, there was a, like, was it um, Randy Jackson, the, the one that... Uh, that feuded with Bischoff and Bischoff uh, like fired him. And then he got his kids. He's like, I want my job back. Do you remember that one? Song? Randy Anderson, Randy Anderson, like yes. Randy Jackson, the, the, uh, the, the <laughs> judge from American Idol. <laughs> That's right. That's a no from me, dog. <laughs> so I mentioned before we went on to our berry fest of JJ Dillon, that we've got an unadvertised match coming up and boy, oh boy, am I glad that it was unadvertised. <laughs> um, Brad Armstrong takes on Goldberg. It's a squash match. That's basically uh, the way that we can sort of uh, sum it up. But uh, is this one of the first times, though, Simon, that we've brought up the streak on um, on pay per view? And is did Goldberg have his uh, pyro? But just because it's a pay per view and they can't really have the set set up, that they had to do that sort of budget 
Pyro, or is this like they're still trying to figure out what are we doing with Goldberg? I can't I remember. That, yeah, I think this was the evolution of it all coming together. Like this was his Pyro, and then it got bigger, and then it became, you know, the same all the time. Because it felt like WCW didn't have set Pyro for each wrestler. It would kind of change depending on the show. Randy Savage would have Pyro sometimes, sometimes he wouldn't. WWE guys had signature Pyro, Shawn Michaels, Diesel, Sid, Razor Ramon. You know, it was like you knew what it was. I think with Goldberg, he was one of the guys in WCW who would eventually have here is your pyro design. So I think it was coming together. But yeah, they mentioned the streak. We're not counting any other time we've seen Goldberg on pay-per-view. This is the first Goldberg match we're watching, I reckon. Um, This is what we expect. And they called him Bill Goldberg. Uh, It's kind of an Ultimo, Ultimate Dragon thing. I want to know when they drop the Bill in his name. (laughs) You know, like formally, they always call him Bill, but when they stop putting it on the graphic, uh, I thought this was fun. Honestly, I thought this like really picked up the energy of the show after the last couple of matches. I just felt felt like this match went way too longer than it needed to. Like for a squash match, this went for like six minutes. It went like way too long that it should have. Did you find, uh, Owen, that there was a bit more wrestling from Goldberg than you expected? Uh, yeah, a lot more grappling, which I kind of liked, um, which I'm not going to complain about. Um, yeah, it was, I thought it was really cool. Um, but yeah, I just thought it went too long. I mean, I think this is the, like, the first time I've seen Brad Armstrong wrestle. You know, it like, went since- two minutes and 23 seconds. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> felt like I was like, am I crazy? I thought this was real quick. Dude, no, 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 I felt like it went way longer. I felt like it went... I, I, I watched it on the train this morning. Wow, you must have hated this match. I reckon... I, I, I thought I went through three stops and not wow. one. Like, you were on is... an express, I think. The Goldberg no, Express. Was... <laughs> <laughs> I was say, express train on the Murder line? You're dreaming. Yeah. <laughs> But um, I, I what I found interesting though in the I mean in the two and a half minutes this match went on, no, there's no way this match would I'm like stand my ground. <laughs> <laughs> Brain said that Goldberg would be the only wrestler he'd come out of retirement to um yeah. manage, which I thought was really interesting. Mm. I think to going back onto why they're referring to Bill Goldberg because he's still I think they're still trying to cash in on the former Atlanta Falcon Bill Goldberg kind of yeah. thing before they realize oh no no people just like Goldberg just push him. That's a good point. You know what? Mm. I, I don't like it. I preferred when he was Bill Goldberg. It was like with Batista when they dropped Dave. They were the first two guys to like lose their first names. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to now where everyone loses their last name. <laughs> Which is weirder. Don't do that. Imagine <laughs> well, he was just added. Bill and Batista was just Dave. <laughs> <laughs> two guys you have a drink with at the pub on a Thursday night. Yeah. yeah Bill and Dave. Bill, and Dave. Bill versus Dave on the... Uh... <laughs> On the pool table. Um, yeah, so Goldberg gets the win, unsurprisingly, here. Um, and then we move straight on to our next match. No filler in between. The only filler go- was Tony Schiavone struggling to say the word traps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, he was all about Goldberg's body. And he did the same later about Bulldog's legs. I'm starting to figure out. Tony was a big, big body he's guy. A body dude. He's a body he's- guy. Because remember, yeah. multiple times he's called Lex Luger the most recognizable physique in the world. So like, if you're paying that much attention, I'll take your word for it. I mean, around the same time as Pamela, as peak Pamela Anderson, that's a lie. But anyway. <laughs> we're, we're seeing uh, more and more who, like Tony, was one of the few 
people that love the World Bodybuilding Federation back in the day. <laughs> um, yeah, we get to Hubertu Guerrero versus Chris Jericho. This is a mask versus title match. Got to say, the juice is absolutely pumped here. And interestingly enough, I did find it uh, amusing that Chris Jericho is billed from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Because when did he stop doing that? Is he billed from Calgary here? I didn't, didn't notice yeah. that. Yeah. Huh. I think oh, normally because, it's uh, Manitoba, Winnipeg, no, or you know, yeah, it's usually win, 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 yeah, Winnipeg, Manitoba. Yeah, but no, in this one, he's built from Calgary, Alberta. I think and, it uh, was WCW just assuming every Canadian guy was from <laughs> Calgary, Alberta. Canada. Well, they had to make up for the fact that Bret Hart wasn't on the show at all. So <laughs> yeah, I don't know that. I tried looking it up. I couldn't find it. We'll Jeez. get to that rant. That was uh, that was an interesting one too, especially after I had a bun, but pretty much match of the night, the previous pay for you. But uh, yeah, this one, Jer- we're seeing the jerk heel Jericho now, and I got to say it was a pretty good back and forth match. And he and Hoovy really know how to like you know mix it up a little bit. And there's a there was a cool little bit at the start of the match where um, Jericho's in full panto mode, like he's playing up the crowd. He's really being that like almost Looney Tunes villain. Mm. Which I thought was pretty cool to see, and then he and then he started the match match with the belt on, which I thought was awesome. <laughs> and then but he I got was, kicked in the belt, and it hurt his stomach. But I that would it. be like, wouldn't it be like wearing a bulletproof vest and getting kicked? Wouldn't it hurt less? Yeah. Anyway, Hoobie I'm overthinking it, but it was a funny. Hoobie spot. should have sold his leg, but anyway, that, we'll yeah, get, yeah we'll get enough. past that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but look, a pretty good back and forth match, as I sort of said. And um, is this like? Do you reckon this is the sort of part where Jericho realizes something? Because you mentioned before how there's always a ceiling for some people in WCW. Do you reckon this is the part where Jericho thinks to himself, I'm on a hot streak here. I'm going to be uh, taking on Goldberg uh, in a year's time. Or that he's pretty much like consigned to his faith and he's just like, yep, this is pretty much my spot. I don't know. It feels like Jericho would have thought he can break through because he's starting Mm. to catch steam here. I thought this was the best Jericho overall match we've seen so far. His character Mm. work was awesome. He did so many good stuff. He looks like he's in great shape. He must have thought, I'm going to be there, Shawn Michaels, which, you know, he says that's kind of what Eric Bischoff told him. And why wouldn't he think that? He did so much great stuff, uh, you know, over the next year that we're going to see. He would have thought, surely you just keep moving up. But I think once, you know, the whole Goldberg fiasco happened, he thought, nah, I know I can only get so far. Because let's face it, between 96 and 98, who's the only new champion they crowned in WCW? Goldberg. So for guys like Jericho and Booker T, they would have thought, hold on, this guy who just came out of the power plant, you put the title on him because he's big and muscular and, you know, we're still fighting Hoovy, no offense, a, but you know, yeah, <laughs> it's it's funny too. Owen. I don't know if you remember um the Rock, uh, Chris Jericho's debut in the WWF, where he comes out and interrupts the Rock, that huge yeah, promo. But yeah. the Rock has a great line with something along the lines like, you know, like you think you can come and interrupt the Rock just because a couple of weeks ago you beat a guy named Hoovertude? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Now, laughs> Which then um, Hoovertude obviously played into the Juice character uh, to really stick it to Dwayne. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that. That'll show him. Now, isn't it crazy that what, maybe what, six to ten, six to eight months ago, we got Jericho versus Hoovy on live TV mm. on the AEW? <laughs> and that match crazy. also ruled. Like, Hoovy was 23. 
Nope. I'm just going to. Now we lost the, you. We had technical difficulties on this episode. You know, so Hoovy was 23 in this match, which I think is amazing. And Jericho was like 27. Um, but so good. And I, mm. like, yeah, I, I love this match. Everything about it. I loved how when Jericho was pandering for the 10 count, when he yes. was like, when he was like Sally, and he'd look up and then like Sal again. Like, so yeah, again, like just super, like, you know, snotty whiplash esque, just like really like muttly kind of, <laughs> kind of thing. And, and one thing that I did love too, and it's something that I always remember how good the lion tamer was before he swapped it over to the walls. Like, the lion tamer was just a devastating move, but you can understand why he did it. You're not putting the lion tamer on, uh, on the big show. Yeah. Um, after post match, so obviously with the stipulation, Hubertud Guerrero had to. Uh, remove the mask and is this the first unmasking that we're seeing in wcw from this spate of unmasking simon yeah because it was originally meant to be ray mysterio losing to eddie guerrero at halloween havoc and they both said no we're not doing that so bischoff obviously you know that stuck in his in his mind he was like i'm gonna unmask one of your sons of bitches and yeah he got (laughs) hoovy here um he, he unmasked the most attractive one i was gonna say it's kind of funny isn't it because they're like He's so ugly. And, you know, Jericho's like, oh, look away, children. You know, you're going to see this real horror show. Takes his mask off and he's like, yeah, the most handsome, young, cool, Mexican-looking guy. And you're like, oh, okay, well, He's an absolute stud. (laughs) My uh, my favorite thing is uh, the funny line by Bobby the Hand. And when when they're about to take off the mask, did you pick up on this one where he's like, wouldn't it be funny if mean jeans under there? (laughs) (laughs) That would have been awesome. Um, just as a complete side note, I'm so used to watching Hoover to Guerrero with no mask on that yeah. seeing him like it's not such a big like when he take when he took the mask off, it was just like oh yeah whatever. So like it it was the one moment that sort of took me out of um, that era of wrestling because we've seen him for so long without the mask. I thought the same thing. We've been watching him for a while with the mask on, and to me. Yeah, obviously he's had no mask for longer. With the mask, I'm like, oh, that's not Hoovy. I'm used yeah. to young Michael Jackson looking Hooventude Guerrero. That's what I remember. Yeah, yeah the guy really... running around naked in the Gold Coast uh, on ecstasy, <laughs> Hoovy. <laughs> yeah, anyway, now that I've said it, you noticed that, didn't you, Owen? He kind of looks he like... He does have a very like thriller, like um, thriller off the yeah. wall-esque <laughs> yeah. Michael Jackson look. Yeah. Now I don't know. Now now I don't know how to think about it. Who do right? <laughs> thanks for ruining thanks for ruining one of my favorite Mexican wrestlers, Simon. Oh, before we move on, I just want to say in this match, another great thing about Jericho here, who's really putting it all together. This is the first time he's mentioned the Jericho-holics on pay-per-view. He dedicated wow. this to all of his Jericho-holics, which I, is awesome. I love the fact, and what my note about the Jericho-holics is the fact that he sees himself as this crazy underdog. Like yeah. in that when he was like, oh, I've dedicated all my Jericho Holics, like, you know, we did it, we did it, but I can't believe we did it. He like thinks he's like, you know, this incredible underdog. Mm. And that like, you know, he beats everybody and it's an absolute miracle he beats them. And it's the most like basically like most basically fantastic heel work. <laughs> it is it was it so is, good. It's brilliant. No one does that sort of heel work like Jericho does because you buy in, like everyone buys in on it. That's what I love about it. Um, uh, we then get to a quick little... Um, did you find this bit interesting? Tony goes to throw to the internet guys again, and then Mongo comes out instead. I don't know what's more disappointing. <laughs> Honestly, I would have preferred a little uh, internet spot 
in the place of Mongo. (laughs) Yeah, or the match in general. Yeah. So this this one... So we'll get to this match. And yeah, Owen, you've basically summed it up in one. This is the British Bulldogs' first pay-per-view appearance since Survivor Series 1997. And uh, the, the thing that I found interesting was like, did Mongo refer to him as a northerner? Or yeah. on commentary, they refer yes. to Bulldog as a northerner. Because they because said, he's... yeah, Mongo was calling out the northerners. So, you know, like saying from up north, from New York, from the WWE. From Canada, yeah. It just sounds weird when you say it without the explanation, though. Because if Mongo mm-hmm. was like, I'm calling out northerners, and then a British guy walks out, like, what does that mean? <laughs> oh, see, I thought he was referring to Canadians because he's like part of that whole that whole situation. No, I think you, it was playing into the fact that, you know, his last feud was, was with Jarrett and he ran him off up north and, yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. Who cares my, my, about Mongo's feuds? Why exactly. are we going into detail here? Look, a, a, another thing that, that do, you reckon, do you reckon that in the mind of WCW, they were just like, let's run through like Heart Foundation versus Four Horsemen. We'll start off with Brett yeah. versus, we'll, we'll do Brett versus... Oh, um, Flair. We'll do yeah, we'll do Brett versus Flair first, and then we'll do Mongo versus British Bulldog, and then before Jim Neidart has a chance to go up against, you know, Dean Malenko <laughs> in the next pay view, someone saw this match and went, maybe oh, not. not <laughs> well, let's you know not what? say we did. Kind of intrigued. I want to see Jim Neidart versus Dean Malenko now. I feel like it <laughs> might actually be good. It'd be a bit shaky. Anyway. <laughs> 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 now, now, I always go and mention this, but uh, British Bulldog is wearing his WCW NWO Revenge gear, yes. uh, which is also available in the Creator Wrestler slot in uh, WrestleMania 2000. But uh, if if we are going well off the beaten track, it's because this crowd is completely dead. Um, they, in fact, the only time I noticed that they made an audible cheer is when Mongo says, "It's time to finish it." <laughs> yes. yes, please, yeah. Mongo. Now, two two things here. This was very much a shadow of 1992 SummerSlam, British Bulldog. Oh, this is this is and, in, in the same universe as that Bulldog. And and do you like? I mean, obviously, I, I've been watching it in the shadows. What like was his last great match? That European title match he had against Michaels in England. Probably. Do you count Canadian stamp? Do you count can, uh, count Canadian stampede? Well, no, one night only was after Canadian Stampede. Yeah. So we'll, we'll oh, count yeah, that. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah, that match right. was incredible. Like yeah. that match was awesome. Like him and Michaels was never going to be bad. But like sure, that was probably his last good match. And it's crazy to think that in four years' time, he's dead. Mm. Honestly, yeah. I think just being in WCW took the wind out of his sails. He doesn't get injured until a little bit later. But I and think doesn't he go back he to the Fed care. like the year later? Well, what happens is he gets injured because he gets a he gets power slammed onto the trap door where the Ultimate Warrior makes his appearance. Like he does a little disappearing thing in the ring, and there's a, tra- a gimmick trap door. He took a back bump onto it and basically got the Eric Bischoff FedEx while you're injured, and then went back to the WWE. Um, and to actually quite a um, a fairly reasonable push when he came back because he won the hardcore championship and he was put in a six pack challenge for the WWF title at unforgiven 99. Is it? I think. Yeah. It was real weird. He got like one month of them thinking, Oh, we got the bulldog again. And then they were like, Oh no, we actually, it's not 
really. Yeah. Like, oh, we've got the bulldog again. Well, yeah. it's fun. Well, I think it's actually probably that six pack challenge where it's just like it's Triple H versus Mankind versus um, uh, The Rock. Maybe oh, Big Show. So all the big boys. Yeah, and then the bulldog is just thrown in there as well. Uh, have I got he's another right? guy who just doesn't fit in that era anymore. You know, his peak was in the 80s and the 90s. By the time the late 90s hit, he just doesn't have a place in this era. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird that he wins with a submission hold as well. With an armbar. Yeah. Could he not he, hit the he, power slam? It was weird. He, he also pulls out a sharpshooter, which I think is the first time I've ever seen him use a sharpshooter. Yeah. Um, so, again, yeah, they're like, hey, Brett's not on the show. Someone's going to do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> So look, it it was a a shadow of his former glory in the British Bulldog, and yeah, as as Owen mentioned, you know, it'd be just four years later where unfortunately uh, he passed away in rather horrible circumstances. But um, um, post match, Mongo does this stupid little promo, it's like claiming that he didn't quit, and he shoves the ref, and there's a ma- there's a smattering of indifference from the crowd, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest, everyone here on this podcast because. I, like, just put him on commentary. Give him the little dog. That's all we want from Mongo from now we on. We want please. Pepe. <laughs> <laughs> um, thankfully, thankfully, we get on to our next match, which is Chris Benoit versus DDP. Uh, DDP is the US champion at the moment, and he's just absolutely red hot. Now, credit where credit is due. They have capitalized on DDP's popularity here. I did find it interesting that he had the black variation of the tape ribs, though, Simon. That's I think that's is that the only time he's worn the black tape ribs? I made note of that, too. I was like, black rib tapes? That's not yeah. right. <laughs> uh, although in the following match, we see Lex Luger wearing the white tape, and then I started to think Luger put on the white tape, DDP rocked up to the locker room, and it was like, man, that was my roll of tape. I think it was one of those like like elastic like velcro-y strap things. Like you know that you put on like your knees. Oh yeah. It was like one of those like like one of those supporters. Yeah. It was like a yeah. garter. I could have been, and then someone would have said, Don't wear the garter anymore, just tape it up. Now, did he I he didn't wrestle in jeans all the time, did he? Didn't he wrestle in tights last show? He goes no, through no. a jean stretch in his main event. Stretchy uh, jeans. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Exactly. All of um all of um basically his entire main run. It I think he actually goes to tights when he cuts his hair. Yeah, when he joins Kevin Nash and they become the insiders the and it's part of yeah. the Jersey triad. No, yeah. Jersey Triad, <laughs> he still has the jeans. Oh, does he? Okay. Because Canyon also has jeans and Bam Bam Bigelow <laughs> has that ECW Bam Bam Bigelow look with the grey rather than the... Uh, we're, 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 I always find the grey Bam Bam Bigelow outfit great because it's like it's like it's got B, B and it's like, I guess I get to put a B here. Yeah, yeah. It's like in the wrong spot. <laughs> yeah. So, and it just looks like balls because... <laughs> But um, let's get to this Chris Benoit and DDP match without talking about wardrobe and what DDP does two <laughs> years later. Um, but I got to say, Chris Benoit um, really takes it to DDP. I mean, he's Chris Benoit's got the rep, obviously, of being a very stiff worker. But DDP goes blow for blow with him. And the thing that I loved is that they sell how dangerous both the Crippler crossface and the Diamond Cutter are by um, the commentators. Like it's actually yeah. one. Like we do give a lot of um, crap to the commentary team, but when they do it right, they really do it right. And um, 
got to say, like, first off, we'll start off with you, Owen, because like, I'm guessing you wouldn't have seen a lot of Chris Benoit's WCW work. When you, when you see Chris Benoit versus DDP on paper, doesn't look like it's going to be, you know, a great match. Well, it's going to be a good match, but you don't think it's going to be a match like this, do you? This match ruled. But isn't it funny how one of the greatest technical wrestlers of all time is the shittest character worker in the entire world? <laughs> Yes. Like, <laughs> my God, he is, he's a wet, he's a wet sponge, isn't he? But mm. he comes out, like, he, it's like he gets to the ring. He's like, okay, I'll start working now. Like, it's just, it's just incredible. He's one of those guys that rocks up to work whose shift starts at 10. He rocks up to work at 9.59, clocks mm. on, sells like $10,000 worth of stuff, and then at four o'clock just leaves. Like, he's <laughs> one of those guys. Like, just rolls in and rolls out, does his job. Um. But this match was so sick. I have barely any notes because I was so into it. Um, but it was such a great match. It was ex- everything I expected and more. There's a lot of cool little spots too because they're really sort of devastating how good the crossface is. But DDP finds some pretty imaginative ways to sort of break out of um, or reverse the uh, the crossface. There's a, there's a bit where Benoit tries to suplex into a crossface and DDP breaks out of it. Uh, there's a, the foot on the rope sort of one. I love... Um, that sort of foot on the rope sort of thing to protect a finish. Like for example, like um, Park's black arrow uh, when he was Neville uh, in that, because no one's ever kicked out of that in WWE. Seth Rollins put a foot on the rope though. And I thought that was like, it's always good like that. And little things like, you know, no one's kicked out of the one wing, uh, one winged angel, except Kenny Omega. (laughs) Like those things are really cool little things. Oh, Let's not get into it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, very, very cool sort of stuff. Now, did you, did you think um, like there's three German suplexes? The, the finish is basically three Germans from Chris Benoit, but DDP reverses it into a diamond cutter for the win, gets, yeah. the, gets the one, two, three count. And then have you seen anyone that's not, well, I'd say he was like, so he's a homegrown WCW guy. So he's not an ex- he doesn't have any prior gimmicks that he can ride the coattails off, like say Macho Man or Hogan or Piper, anyone like this. But Simon, we've you've watched a lot of Nitros as well throughout this era. Have you seen anyone get more behind a a, a homegrown WCW guy than the crowd does with DDP? Because there is just a sea of diamond hands in the crowd when he wins. I'd say yeah. it's a bigger reaction than Sting. It's been fun to watch DDP. You know what? I think it. Look, obviously Sting is still wrestling now. He's gone on to become a legend and he already was kind of by this point. There is something more fulfilling about the DDP push because mm. it's just more sustained. It just keeps going. He's on almost every show. He's wrestling great matches. He gets better and better. It feels like he's earning it. And here he's going again to another level, hanging in there with Benoit. And they built this match so good. It started technical, then it became a brawl. Then it became about the finishes. Like it can't, couldn't be more perfect. I love this match. And I know I was like down on Benoit when we started this show in terms of his wrestling. I didn't think he was that impressive just yet. He's really coming into it here, I think, in WCW. Yeah. His matches with like, you know, Raven and Kevin Sullivan and now this. Benoit almost fits better once he starts turning into a main eventer as opposed to a cruiserweight. And him and DDP killed it here. I got to say, more- Mike Tanay almost won me over with his commentary by this point <laughs> in the show because he mentioned that DDP ordered yes. the best of Chris Benoit on video to study. And I thought that's a nice touch. <laughs> <laughs> because it shows how serious DDP is. And just imagine him 
renting the video. But I liked how, how Tanae actually mentioned the shoot side of things and how DDP actually did record every single one of his matches. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I liked how he mentioned that. I thought that was really cool. Tony Schiavone refers to this at the end of the match. He calls it a classic, and I've got to agree with it. This is, when you think about DDP's run in WCW, everyone always talks about these match, his matches with Macho Man and things like that, and his work with the NWO, but you really do forget about the stuff that he did with like Chris Benoit and other sort of like matches that he had that weren't with the main event players, but were actual sort of WCW stalwarts. So, yeah, an underrated match, and this is one that's been forgotten by a lot of people, I'm going to guess. But uh, uh, we'll move on to our next little segment, which is they go back to the desk, and they're talking about the giant who is injured after sold out. Um, he'll be in Nitro tomorrow, but there's a video package of the Giant versus Nash from the um, from that horrible uh, uh, botch. Did you say that was a botch, wasn't it? Because he was not meant to drop Big Show on his 100%. head. Hundred percent, yeah, hundred um, percent. I just all I could think of was just like, did they make this video package in like three seconds in like Movie Maker? Because it was awful. Like, if you're gonna do a great story like this, put a bit of effort into it. <laughs> The production uh, gap in quality is getting bigger and bigger as we move into 1998. Even on a B show like No Way Out, WWE is leaving them well behind in the production uh, stakes. Yeah. Um, Let's get to it because we can go on and on about the video production side of things. I feel like we always do, but you're right. It is night and day between the two. But speaking of Macho Man, we get to Macho Man versus Lex Luger. Now, the story here is Macho Man is actually on the outs with the NWO at the moment. Uh, Lex Luger, as Simon mentioned, has the tape ribs coming in. Got to say, this just sort of seems to be a Macho Man brawl where I'd say maybe 80% of the match is him just focusing on the ribs and, you know, it spills to the outside and it's all savage. Uh, Luger gets savage like very briefly towards the end, but it's all savage. That's all it is. And yeah, it's just fairly pedestrian. Well, what did you think of that, Simon? Uh, I I don't know. Didn't know what to expect. They main evented the last show for no reason. Here they're having a no DQ match seemingly for no reason. Uh, mm. it, why was it a no DQ match? They didn't even use weapons. They like, yeah. Did some crappy brawling around the ring and into the crowd, but it was boring, as in nothing was happening. It was just clubbing blows, and it was, yeah. Both guys might as well have been asleep. I don't know about you, but is it just me, or does Lex Luger sell pain horribly? Like, it, all, every time, like, you know, you feel like you could just punch him in the arm and he sells it like a gunshot. <laughs> Everything is the one one uh, reaction that he's got, ah, and he's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, throws <laughs> his face back. But you know what? I think Luger wasn't into this match because the crowd wasn't into him. Normally, yeah. normally Luger's one of the most over guys on the show. But once we got into the NWO portion of the show, we really saw San Francisco was an NWO crowd. They were oh, they were booing Luger. Like when mm. he did the chicken dance, they didn't cheer. And we've never yeah, seen nothing. that before. Yeah. And that becomes more prevalent when um in a couple of minutes when um uh Scott Hall does the promo and yeah. like yeah. The, that that NWO chant is ear splitting. Mm. Uh, so yeah we get to the finish of this match. Luger gets savage in the rack, but Liz interferes. She's interfering more and more as I like uh, it. 
as the um, but, but this, but you need to realize, like, oh, and this is so out of character for Liz. She I know, never, and that's why I like it. Yeah, she does nothing normally, but then um, as Liz interferes, the entire NWOB team comes out. And did you notice Crush was there too, Simon? Yes, he's finally gone for the from the WWE, but now we have to deal with him here, so we can't escape this guy. Uh, can, can someone Crush. explain the ending of this match? It's no DQ. Uh, Luger gets him up in the in the rack. The NWO runs out. Why did the ref ring the bell? It's no oh, DQ. Yeah. Yes. Did he tap out? And then they went into a second finish. Then he yeah. put the rack on again. Then he gave up. I don't know. It was an absolute mess. The ending of this. And I that's love what annoyed the, me because I love the how angle. The, the, sorry, go on. Yeah. And that's what annoyed me because the angle of this ma- the, the angle that they were going for was really good. Like the Hogan the fighting. Yeah, like it was a good angle they're working for, but the way they got there was complete horse poo. Yeah, and that was the other part of it. Hogan came out with the NWO and sort of pulled him back and said, no, nah, no, nah, leave him, you know, make him give up to the get, let him get racked again or whatever he said. And then did you notice the announcer when David Penza made the announcement and said, and your winner, he didn't say how he won. He just said, and your yeah. winner, Lex Luger. I don't think he yeah. knew how it ended either. Nope. Well, the stupid thing was, so Hogan, like the NWO B team runs out and helps Savage. And it seems like, you know, they've done the job. And then all of a sudden Hogan comes out and then calls him off like, did he miss his cue? <laughs> yeah, maybe he did actually, yeah. Just absolute garbage. Because you can't just have the NWO run out and stand there like, where's eh, eh, was Hogan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hogan was just in the back tanning or whatever. Yeah. So as as someone said, Luger gets the win via the rack. We mentioned it briefly uh, beforehand, but uh, it is then the Outsiders versus the Steiner brothers. Hall does his world famous survey, and it is very clearly one for the good guys. But uh, and don't you love how disgusted Tony Schiavone sounds? I know, and and again, these are your fans. He didn't even just say, oh, well, you know, the NWO are very popular, like Vince McMahon used to with Steve Austin. He would just be like, oh, well, they seem to love him. Tony Schiavone was like, oh, there's a lot of knuckleheads here in San Francisco. Like, (laughs) it's all coming back to me why we hated this guy. Anyway. Uh, Now, now, I can't quite remember there ever being two sets of WCW titles. So can you recall, Simon, why there was a unified tag team champion? No idea, to be honest. I'm so confused. (laughs) Unless this goes all the way back to when Hall and Nash didn't give up their titles when they were meant to with the Randy Anderson stuff and Nash going on a sabbatical. I don't know. I honestly cannot remember why there were two sets of belts, but um, and they acknowledge it. Yeah, but then later in the show, like Sting and Sting and Hogan's for the unified title too. Yep. Oh, we'll get to that in just a moment. But um, uh, so. Mike Tanay says this is the longest, uh, like the unified tag team champions. Mike Tanay says it's the longest tag team. What have I written down here? The longest tag team feud in WCW history. Oh, it's (laughs) the longest. Oh, there we go. Longest tag team rivalry. And it sure as hell feels like it. I can tell you that. (laughs) But um, Rick Rick stops all of uh, Scott Hall's shenanigans with a stiff belly to belly suplex there. And in a really weird sort of thing. So Scott Steiner turns on Rick. Crowd goes absolutely crazy. Best place to do it, NWO country. And then Dusty takes out Ted DiBiase and DiBiase sells very much like Lex Luger does, which I thought was pretty cool. But then the match continues. Do you find that weird? 
thought the match was just going to end there. So, yeah, Scott Steiner is doing the pose on top of Rick where Rick goes between his legs. He axe handles him. Great turn. Hits Great the double arm turn. sort of, you know, that double arm Steiner powerbomb thing. Punches Ted DiBiase. Dusty shoves Ted into the corner. Crowd's going crazy. Hall goes for the pin. And, yeah, Rick kicks out and then has to, like, get an outsider's edge before he gets pinned. It felt like some real WCW BS where the guy was like, oh, I'll lose, but you have to hit me with your finisher. Like, yeah, just Mm. just lose. Yeah, and he made him really work for that outsider's edge because he didn't get up the first time. Oh, he was sandbagging. Good old old Ricky boy, uh, the old dog-faced gremlin, sandbagged like a piece of crap. He was just... I reckon he knew his run at the big time was over. The second he lost Scott, it was just, yeah, mid-card for Rick and Scott's on to bigger and better and bigger and pumpier things. And now his (laughs) son's already bigger than that name anyway. Did you find it amusing how, like, they they kept going on about, like, the NWO got to a man's family. They went, they got to a family. Like, just like, it's the, they've been running roughshod for two years, guys. Are you really surprised? (laughs) Um, it is definitely one of those slow burn sort of stories there. But yeah, this was one of the uh, the major sort of turning points in Scott Steiner's career because after this, it is just big popper pump city straight after this. About yeah, although, time. is he superstar Scott Steiner first for a little bit, which is basically big popper pump with a different, you know, nickname. All right, before we get to our main event, I, I really do have to mention this because I'm pretty sure... Simon and I have got very fond memories of this uncensored commercial. But Owen, I'm going to guess this is the first time you've ever seen this classic ad for WCW Uncensored. The worst promo I've seen in my life. What the hell was that? Oh, come on. It is fantastic. What the hell was that? It is brilliant. So confused. I hated this ad so much as a kid. (laughs) It used to be on Foxtel or Optus all the time on main event. And that jingle and Rath's face miming WCW, NWO. Yeah. WCW, NWO. This is going to haunt me for another 25 years. I, I You know, those things that just annoy you, just some weird Mm. small thing that triggers you. Mm. This has been one of them my whole life. So it's, just to give you just to give you a level of just how much this would have traumatized uh, someone and I in the uh, late nineties. So main event, you know how like when you put it on main event on Foxtel, uh, if you've got Foxtel, I don't know if yeah. they still do it now, but um, it just does a loop of you know like watch you know Oscar Del Hoya versus such and such, and then it yeah. goes to whatever. So it would literally, if you had main event on for say 30 minutes, I guarantee you'd watch that ad probably about 20 times. <laughs> so you'd be able to pinpoint Wrath doing the rules, R4 fools. <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of the, like, it's whoever sat around, like we've seen some pretty shocking ads, but that one is absolutely <laughs> awful uh, to the point that I might even make it my ringtone just for, just for a bit of fun. <laughs> Uh, but let's get <laughs> let's get to the main event here. It is Hollywood Hogan versus Sting, and Michael Buffer is really putting a lot of salt and pepper on this steak because he says it's for the unified WCW NWO Undisputed World Heavyweight Championship. Like that's a direct quote. Yeah, 
That when yeah, it's the WCW NWO undisputed unified world heavyweight championship. Yeah. Is is he was he paid by the minute and he really, really was trying to maximize like <laughs> word count? Maybe but, he gets um, paid per word. Actually, that would make a lot of sense. That's why his intros are so, you know, superfluous, superfluous <laughs> and he uses so many words. Well, yeah, because continuing on about this, also, side note, when, they, when we get to before Sting's entrance, there's a sign in the crowd that's got WCW HIV positive, which oh, is God. just like, it's like, oh, I didn't God. see that. Did you not see that one? <laughs> when that did Magic is, Johnson wrestle for WCW? That is the most 90s sign that's up mm. there with some of the worst we've seen. Yeah, it's very much it's very much in the same territory of I'd rather be in China sort of thing. Yeah. But um, yeah. so so this is the this is, so Sting comes out and Michael Buffett refers to him as the man who marches to the beat of a different drum, professional wrestling's man of mystery, an enigmatic soup superstar who marches to the beat of a different drummer. <laughs> yeah, different, different drummer. drummer, different drummer. It's Chad Smith, not. <laughs> Lars Ulrich as somebody else. So, well, Simon, it would be Lars Ulrich in a couple of years when he starts using Seek and Destroy. Live from Woodstock 99. There you go. <laughs> so, Simon, I think you're actually right here. He is getting paid by the words. Oh, yeah. He's he just adds, <laughs> adds catchphrases and things about these wrestlers that nobody's ever said before. Wearing, and... wearing his traditional black. <laughs> yeah. Oh, as a side note, did it look like Sting forgot his gear and had to go to high spots or something? Because he just looked, it, it just looked plain. Sting, like from all that time in the rafters, he's really let everyone down here. I really <laughs> forgot how long it took Sting from you know the Crow character, like getting back into the ring at Starcade, to putting it back all together. Because at Starcade, mm. he had those big dumb shoulder pads, and he didn't look good. And now here, he's got the singlet, which he would continue to wear onwards, but it's got but no graphics on it. on it. It's just black. Like, it is literally yeah, the one like it had the scorpion on it. Yeah, but Nothing. the one at scorpion, the one, the one at Starkhead, at least, he looked like, you know, like he was one of Shao Kahn's minions because it looked <laughs> like he had the big chest plate and everything like that and the, and the pads. But um, did you notice too how quickly Michael Buffer got out of the ring but still was doing the ring announcing as he's leaving? <laughs> Gotta finish it. It's like, can, it's like, can I just talk clear. about I'm done? <laughs> I we need to talk about this match and the way it was formatted and the start mm. of it. So Sting, who wants revenge, you know, he was kind of screwed over, he's not the world champion. He's the baby face, the heroic guy who can beat up 50 guys on his own. You know, he's beat up the whole NWO multiple times. He gets excited and runs down the entrance. And I thought this is going to be like a hot start to the match something we'd see The Rock or Stone Cold do, you know, in the future or whatever. And it just mm. starts hot and he beats up the bad guy, chucks him out of the ring and, you know, celebrates or whatever. He runs to the ring and Hogan just starts whipping him with his yep. belt. Sting doesn't no-sell it like you would think he would, like, you know, heroically. He just gets beaten down and then he gets choked and then he gets stomped on. Then Hogan puts... Sting's coat over his head like a hockey fight. Hockey fight. Yeah. Beats him up with his own coat, then chokes him with his own coat. Like Sting couldn't look more like a dumbass for the first ten minutes of this match. It was yeah. hilarious. I've just written here. This is Starcade. Hogan has the upper hand <laughs> yeah. for the entire match, 
And Sting is, this is what I wrote. Sting is being treated like a jobber and looks like a jobber. It's really not good. What I must say, though, is the way Sting slid into the ring was exceptional. He slid three quarters of the way across the ring. I was so impressed. Mm, mm. It, was like someone put, it was like when you put like baby oil on yourself and like slide on a, on a top, like a slip and slide. He went straight across the ring. But it, it, it's for, a, for the, you know, the redemption match. This is the one that will really settle the score after Starcade. Does nothing. The Even only the bit spud. of him, the only um, like amusing thing is when it's too much to the, to the point where the commentators even go off on a tangent about Hogan putting his belt back. It's like, oh, I guess he needs to know he's called Hollywood, or at least the people behind him do. Yeah, and and, oh, and just before he put it back on, Sting choked Hogan with the belt for a little bit, like one of his only offensive moves. And Tony called it a choking device. And I just thought, <laughs> what's a choking device anyway? <laughs> yeah, so Sting, just the action does spill to the outside, but uh, but Hogan is still dominating here. Now, Sting gets a Scorpion Deathlock uh, for a split second, and then there's a ref bump. Yep. And then some very homoerotic pinning starts happening. <laughs> It's just like I like in 1998. You shouldn't be powering out of a pin like that. Well, you just know what the crowds would be thinking, especially considering mm. the signs we've seen. Um, I want to call out Bobby Heenan here, and I love Bobby Heenan, but I have to, you know, be fair to all the announcers. He said this is the biggest match of Hogan's life. Hey, man, <laughs> you were managing Andre at Mania Three. <laughs> like, don't say that. <laughs> Yeah, there's levels of lying like, you know, Kurt Hennig is in the best shape of his life. No, he's not. And that is clearly a new plane of lying. And also, I don't know who Kurt Hennig is. That also popped me. Yes, that's right. It's the first time I've seen this somewhat very unflawless character. (laughs) Um, But yeah, look, as I sort of said, now when we get to the end of the match, this is where we see all the Sting's offense. Maybe he's just saving it all up. He was just gassed very early from he's running into the, the ring. Yeah. And he's just like, help me, Hogan. Like like, like in TNA in 2010, where, where Hogan did that nonsensical face turn. Um, so the NWO comes out. and This match was what's... worse than the TNA match. <laughs> this is worse <laughs> than that one. <laughs> but so, so Sting fights all the NWO off. Like, as you've mentioned, very, very correct. Simon, Sting can fight off the entire NWO single-handedly with with ease, with yep. ease, I should point out. Yet somehow a one-on-one encounter with Hulk Hogan and it's his kryptonite. Yeah, my one weakness, a choking device, and he just can't <laughs> handle it. <laughs> so the NWO comes out, but Sting fights them all off and then Savage hits Hogan. So the entire premise of like, the win is credited to Savage betraying Hogan. I love it. Would you, even All... say, would you even say it's Savage betraying Hogan? Because it's really Savage getting his comeuppance. Kind of. But what's funny about it, yeah, the years of build, Sting getting revenge, he's the one that's going to overthrow Hogan. Nah, it's just Randy Savage with a spray can. <laughs> like, oh man, Sting really, he must have been so annoyed at this whole fiasco. What, what did Steve Borden do to deserve this? I don't know. Trusted Ric Flair. <laughs> Although, hey, credit to Hulk Hogan, though. Before the, the, so when the second referee comes out, Sting's going for the Scorpion death drop, and Hogan, as he's going down, 
kicks oh. the refs. That was awesome. Oh, he kicks the hell out of Nick Patrick. Also, mm. can we just appreciate the fact that Nick Patrick uh, refs in the most awesome filler basketball shoes ever? Yes. Yeah. I noticed that. Yeah, they do. He is very much like, you know, the sneaker pimp of all WCW <laughs> referees. But um, yeah, so Sting gets the title and the crowd goes relative like, oh, yay. Like they're so taken out of it. <laughs> this crowning moment is very much like, you might as well just have had Bret Hart come out and like restart the match if, if we're really we, going to redo. Yeah, It's like they learned nothing from Starcade. Like that they didn't feel like a now. coronation because of the screwiness. And then they did it again. This wasn't a match. You would think, like, I, I couldn't remember how this match ended. I assumed Sting just beats him here, like to mm. make up for Starcade and the backlash. Yeah. No, they just doubled down on the screwiness. Yeah. I thought they were going to go clean again. Yeah. Like we're watching a show 25 years later. But like, I thought like, you know, making it a clean finish makes, make, it makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, like we screwed you, now pay for it and we're going to give you the payoff. No. We, we always famously refer to Backlash 2000 as the make good for WrestleMania 2000 when The Rock beats uh, Triple H for the title. Like, so it's fine to sort of go, look, we stuffed up that last heavy, but how about this one? This will make it up to you. WCW never did that. They never did that at all. And I should also point out too, wasn't Scott Hall meant to get his title shot from winning World War Three at this pay-per-view? <laughs> Shut up, basically. Like, it's basically their answer. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> How no, dare you have logic, Nims? <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know what? Um, the wheels are coming off for WCW here, though. Like, it's there's going to be some bright spots, but it is all downhill from here. At a, at a massive rate of not. And this is what, like, and as you could probably see, like, Owen, oh, you're probably better to talk about this because you're looking at it with some fresher eyes. It's a decent pay-per-view. It's it well, there's that's some what very good matches. There's some very good matches on there, but this just really, you know, really craps the bed. That's what I said, like at the at, at the start of the show. Like I've like I genuinely enjoyed this, but then like like literally like my my um like my notes go from okay, like this is like you know old school pro wrestling, I really like it, and the crowd's like, you know, eating it up. Hogan's selling is really hokey, but it makes sense. Hmm. And then, like, you know, Sting no selling the, the punches and getting like the fire up and the fire back was really cool. And as soon as NWO come in, I'm like, ah, oh, this is where it gets dumb. Yep. And I picked it straight away. And yep. it was exactly how I imagined it in my head. And it was just so obvious. And it made me really sad because overall, this pay was probably like a seven out of 10. And you but know it was what? Pretty you, good. You could basically copy and paste those notes and use it in the next Hogan match. It's so formulaic now that it's just, oh, it's. Oh, sorry. I should point out there is a slight difference. Uh, Sting does spray paint Hogan poorly. It, like so everyone poorly. does the big W and then realizes, uh oh, <laughs> how do I fit two more letters on his chest? But yeah, yeah, this was meant to be their big revenge. Like, oh, I spray painted him. How long is Sting's title run? Because I honestly don't even remember him being champ. Because it's only let's two think months. The, well, that makes sense because Hogan's champ again to lose to Goldberg later in the year, like. But doesn't yeah. he drop it to doesn't doesn't Sting drop it to Macho Man? Oh, yeah, because, that would make sense. Because then they have the first NWO versus NWO main event is Hogan versus Savage. Yeah, of course it is. Which then which then he gets the belt and then drops the Goldberg. Yeah, not on pay per view. Uh, which a lot of people crap on, but I reckon that was a good decision to do it on Nitro. Um. Speaking of good decisions, let's just look forward to 98 because 98 WCW, we get 
Carl Malone and Dennis Rodman. We got that to look forward to, which I, I'm pretty sure is pretty cool. Uh, the mailman. We've got Jay Leno. Not as cool. <laughs> Law of mm-hmm. Diminished Returns. And mm-hmm. then we have the Ultimate Warrior. So, Oh, oh yeah. Good Lord. We've got some treats. We've got some absolute treats. But look, let's let's do a quick little summary of uh, the pay per view because Owen, I think you sort of said it best. It's a good pay per view, but the mm. bits that are bad are really bad, really bad. Yeah. And that's the annoying thing too. Like it was such a enjoy. Like compared to last month, it was such an enjoyable show. <laughs> like the like you know, Jericho and Hoovy was amazing. Book I feel like brilliant. I, I, I honestly. I honestly feel like on that we're going to be ten years down the track, and you're still going to be scarred from sold out '98. <laughs> yeah, I really am. That's why I'm looking forward to next month when I come next week when I come on for uh, WrestleMania. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Simon, what did you think of this one? I thought the the good matches were entertaining. Um, I if I was to pick a MVP, it's a toss up between Booker T or Chris Jericho. I thought those guys stood out the most as a single mm. performance. But match of the night, Benoit versus DDP is worth going out of your way to watch. Uh, it almost felt ahead of its time as well. It was kind of the style that would, you know, sort of be the norm in the 2000s, I thought. But yeah, what was good was good. But what was bad was was god awful. And and this is what makes this such a criminal, uh, such a criminal sort of move. Because like when you look at it, like Booker T and the Booker T run at the start where he goes for like half an hour in back-to-back matches. Fantastic. Uh, La Parker versus Disco Inferno. Serviceable. Nothing in a, nothing uh, unoffensive there. Goldberg's over in a flash, although Owen uh, probably <laughs> would disagree with that one. The Hoovy Jericho match. Fantastic. Mongo versus British Bulldog just makes you want to gut your eyes out. That's where right. it really, really dips. And then you, you're given a palate cleanser with Chris Benoit versus DDP, which is, as you said, match of the night, in my opinion. Macho Man versus Lex Luger, then it goes downhill, and then a great angle with the Outsiders and the Steiners, and then the main event. So the ratio of good matches to bad is pretty good, but those bad matches are just so bad yeah. that it's like, oh, what am I, what am I doing? It's Not crazy. Good. It is absolutely crazy. But look, we we normally go through our MVPs. You have a toss up. You're giving it to Jericho there, Simon. Yeah, I'll say Jericho or Booker T. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to, I think Owen and I, we're going to share the same uh, sort of view here. Do you, do you go with Booker T as the MVP? Yeah, mine's most, it's, it's like Booker and then Hoovy just under that, but easily Booker. I'm going to, like, in, it's hands down Booker for me. It's easily going to be Booker. Purely because this is his real, and this is what's also like slightly retrospectively cruel about it. This is his coming out party. This is the one where like, you know, he should have been made a star after this, but uh, sadly wasn't. It's his coming t- out party that he waits two years for the presents for. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like no, no. This is it, right? No, no. We're sending out the invites. Um, they're in the mail. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then we'll get to it eventually. But yeah, so yeah, a, a decent paper. I'd still track it down if you could. It's it's a good one to watch because you do want to watch the DDP uh, Chris Benoit match. You want to watch the opener. That's pretty good, and it is a pretty monumental event to have Hoovy lose his mask. So it's not all <laughs> bad. Like you got to like there are some bright spots. Just skip the bad. When it's bad, it's really bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one thing that we do have to look forward to, as Owen mentioned, is the next pay per view that we get to. It is. 
WrestleMania 14. Would you happen to say, Simon, this is the one that sort of lit the fire for the Attitude Era? Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure the night after is the first time WWE uh, breaks the rating streak. So it is on from here on out, basically. Steve Austin, spoiler alert, becomes world champion and kind of, you know, turns the ship around for good, more or less. Now, this is on with with Mike Tyson, isn't it? Mm Yeah. A very, very cool preview. And uh, and Shawn Michaels, what we thought was his final match uh, before he then had the brilliant second chapter and then the horrible bonus feature from Saudi Arabia. Uh, but um, that wraps up a big edition of uh, Reliving the War. Remember, if you want to find out and go back and listen to all of our old episodes, you can do so at greywolfentertainment.net. You can follow the socials ENT. But uh, Owen, you'll be more than happy to join us uh, for WrestleMania 14. Yes, I look forward to watching some good wrestling. And also, and- Luna Vachon. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Simon, one thing that I, I just jog my memory is this where we see the debut of lod 2000 yes we do uh look at the time it was cool seemed like a cool idea (laughs) Um, so yes (laughs) you know what i'm looking at this card again um this is a solid wrestlemania and it's kind of underrated which is weird to think considering how much it did for the business but i'm looking forward to it i know it's going to be a fun show Mm. WrestleMania 14, the Rage and Climax. Is that what it's called? No, no, that's 15. This is DX rated. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that one. And it's got the weird cube logo too. Which was very futuristic. I remember that blew me away as a kid. I'm like, it's the logo, but it's 3D. And those really sexy headshots of Austin, Tyson, and Michaels. Oh, man, I know. Yeah, those three shots, they're not mug shots. They're modeling, you know. They're modeling headshots. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think all you need to do is put like a little bit of milk mustache and you've got a got milk campaign right there. But um, <laughs> uh, This has been another big edition of Reliving the War. We'll catch you next time at WrestleMania 14. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network. Greywolfentertainment.net.